Hey everybody, welcome to Applying to Everything, a show about our passions, the world, and where they overlap. I'm your host, Bruno Falcon. This week, I sat down with Bonnie King-Taylor, a dear friend, personal therapist, and an avid lover of all things comic book and sci-fi. We talked about the Hulk, ways to be true to yourself, and how sometimes it's okay to be angry. Enjoy. No matter what you're, whether it's cleaning, whether it's just being really good at cleaning the dishes or, right. you know, having a moment of like catching yourself when you trip on the sidewalk and, right. you know, managing to turn it into like a quirky pose or a little dance. Right. Like in all of those little <laughs> moments, we are in fact able to be superheroes. And right. um, one of the, one of my favorite things about you is that that's kind of what you do every day. Like yep. you, you help people, you help people find that. Yeah. For themselves, whether it's being a superhero just for them or being a superhero for the person they love or being a superhero for an entire organization. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it is, it's a part of everything that I do. Mm -hmm. And I actually do have an interesting story about falling down. (laughs) (laughs) So if, oh, you want me to tell you right now? Mm -hmm. Okay. So, um, I have this sort of basic philosophy. One of the things about me that is not superhero like Mm -hmm. is that, um, up until now, I I have had the impulse to sort of catastrophize when something happens and extrapolate it into, oh, my God, blank, 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 could have happened. Right. And, well, here we are, you know, living in Eastern Market on Capitol Hill where all the sidewalks are hilariously akimbo mm-hmm. pretty much everywhere you walk. The, I mean, I love the brick walkways, but they're, they're deadly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so when I first moved into the neighborhood... I would stumble all the time, like you know, stub my toe or or literally like do the oh. with the, you know, limbs flying. And uh, I would then go into, oh, my God, I could have hit my head on one of these steel fences and been all, you know, walking dead zombified or um, I could have broken my wrist or et cetera. And it, it, this cold rush of adrenaline would go through me and it would ruin my whole day. Mm. And then after a while, I finally got to the place of like, but wait. <laughs> I didn't actually fall, you know, no bad thing actually happened Mm -hmm. and I'm wasting all this energy on it. And so finally I came up with the idea of just saying, thank you for my balance Mm -hmm. because that's the truth, right? I I have good enough balance and, you know, luck was on my side in that moment. I didn't actually fall down. So I just adapted that habit. I would say it out loud and then after a while I didn't need to say it out loud. But one day I was walking down this um, the block that I live on and I stumbled and just said, Oh gosh, thank you for my balance. And apparently there was a woman just a few feet behind me that I didn't realize was there. And Mm. she was like, Oh my God, is that an option? (laughs) Like we have this shared human experience of you stumble and then you have a fit, Mm -hmm. but I didn't have a fit. So I was able to model that for her without even trying. And I was like, no. So I stopped on the sidewalk and we talked about it and she's like, Oh, you've changed my life. (laughs) So not too long after that, I was, wa- it was the winter time and I was walking with my dog Cagney, who is um, very, very strong and not particularly 
clever. <laughs> and he can, you know, tend to react to things sometimes, specifically small furry creatures. And we were <laughs> walking with a friend of ours with her two dogs. We're strolling along. And uh, Cagney did what he needed to do. <clears throat> and I went to go uh, clean up what mm-hmm. he had to do. And right at that moment, he saw a squirrel and he yanked his lead so hard that I, I toppled off of my shoes. Uh-huh. And I started to go down. And this voice in my head said, well, you could stay upright and completely bork your ankle. Or you could just go down. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so I just sort of floated down to the ground mm-hmm. into this tree box. <laughs> and Cagney fortunately didn't run off. But this woman that I was walking with had a fit. Mm-hmm. Oh, she went into everything that I ever said before. Mm-hmm. And I was like, but I'm okay, really. And then after a while, it took a while to calm her down. And she was like, well, I do have to say, I've never in my life seen anybody fall more gracefully. <laughs> <laughs> so not only did I not hurt myself, did I live by my principle mm-hmm. of not catastrophizing, but I got style points too. There you go. <laughs> and at the end of the day, like... 90% of being a superhero is, like, the work that goes before, but most people only really notice the style points. That's like, exactly right. Nobody, Like, nobody notices all of the prep work, but, you know, right. if you make a good entrance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, this, it totally reminds me, have you seen the documentary about Bill Finger? No. It's on Hulu now. Um, gosh, I can't remember the name of it in this moment, but this author named Nobleman went on a crusade to get Bill Finger, who was the co-creator of Batman, Mm -hmm. credit. Mm -hmm. Sadly, posthumously. But, you know, Bob Kane, who took credit for everything Batman, went on to be a mad millionaire and apparently was, you know, pretty smart around getting his. Mm -hmm. But poor Bill Finger literally died in poverty and is buried in some pauper's grave somewhere, not even with a headstone. Mm -hmm. So what... What sort of strikes me about that story is there's being a superhero in a really self-serving way. Then there's being a superhero in a more worldview, altruistic, mm-hmm. doing right by the world kind of way. Right. And uh, I just, I'm, I was struck by Nobleman's true superhero stance of saying, I'm never going to give up. Until this man's name is attached to that which he created. And so when you see um, Batman versus Superman, which I confess I did not, Mm -hmm. um, it's the first time since 1934. Really? Yeah. That Bill Finger got credit for what he did after all that time. And I'm not entirely sure how many years it took, but just imagine the energy that this writer put into finding relatives because it, it, the copyright law apparently is that you have to have an heir right it can't even be like the guy's wife who was still alive while this was going on it had to be an heir and they said that he didn't have any turns out he totally did mm. so there's nothing really in it for noblemen except for maybe some book sales to right. a fairly niche market when you think about sure. it but he simply wasn't going to let that go mm-hmm. that is that is a true superhero yeah, to my for way of sure. thinking that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I recommend you see it. <laughs> um, I was just thinking as as you were talking about the 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 idea of being the, the altruistic superhero versus like the one who's generally self self motivated. Right. Um, that 
I think, especially like in in the broader in the broader zeitgeist, that superheroes all, at least on their face, had the you know altruistic, save the world in spite of ourselves right. view right. up until really up until Iron Man. Like up until up until we get Tony Stark on screen, we're not really dealing with the nitty gritty of like superheroes are in it. Like that this is about ego and that this is about that boost. That like what up until that point, the biggest difference between Batman and um uh the villain in Superman and I'm going to Zod? No, not Zod. Lex Luthor. Uh, Luther, thank you. Yes. Um, I'm like rolling through the names wow, in my mind. Yeah, no, I'm just like I I feel I just lost a, baj- a bajillion nerd points. Like a whole bunch of nerd points are gone. Sorry guys. No, um, no, it's okay. <laughs> but the the biggest difference between uh, Bruce Wayne and Lex Luthor is what they do with the power. Right. Like what like sure, Batman's broken in a lot of ways and and like um and and Bruce Wayne Bruce Wayne on his face seems like your arrogant playboy because he's aloof and right. unapproachable as someone who pretends to be Batman really 80% of the time. Um, but the difference between what they do is for Luther, it's all about him. And right. for Batman, it's all about, it is all about him, but it's all about him trying to save the world because he thinks that if he does, if he saves the world enough, maybe it will be okay that his parents are dead. Right. Um, right. And that, once you get into the world of once we enter into the world of Iron Man, we start to step away from that. And especially like the first movie, you have that sort of arc of he goes and he realizes the terrible things he was doing and blah de blah de blah. But then once you get into the later stories, once you get into sort of where we are at this point post Civil War, yeah, Iron Man is kind of like the the line between villain and hero is getting blurred and mm-hmm. it's interesting that the concept of the anti-hero like how how much that has taken root like the right. the, the need to be dark and gritty yeah. and kind of broken and self-serving and tortured it's almost like that's one of the preliminaries to being a hero on screen. Absolutely. And I, I would throw another one in the middle there and um Rorschach. Yeah. You know, who uh, yeah. you know, who watches the Watchmen. Yeah, I mean it's a different kind of self interest, right? Sure. It's it's about um I'm going to express who I am based on a moralistic code that I believe people should follow. Right. But don't. Right. Um so yeah, I mean that is one of the things that I I want people to be able to use the metaphor of the superhero to really assess what their actual self-interest is. Mm-hmm. Because when you're talking about, you know, in popular culture at this moment, we seem to be moving towards that anti-hero hero. Mm-hmm. I think one of the reasons for that is because we are so overwhelmed as individuals by world circumstance mm-hmm. that the idea of being truly altruistic being more like captain america and you know having this code that is for the greater good of all people are coming up to a place of thinking that that's a sign of weakness or a lack of intelligence or naivete on some level Mm -hmm. um when i think quite the opposite is true yeah i think falling into that nihilistic ah screw all y'all 
just, you know, it's partly a lack of imagination and it's also partly a lack of interest in actually doing something. Right. You know, I'm, I just posted something yesterday about how I'm, I'm pretty full up with indignation right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'd really rather hear what people actually want to do right. about the stuff that they're upset about. Right. You know, in the world that we live in now, we can't, we can, I mean, to, people totally can. I wish that they wouldn't um, kind of indulge in the, I can't believe this is happening. Dude, right. believe it. Yeah, it's happening. <laughs> it's right there in this front is, of you. This is what's happening now, yeah. And, it, it, and that was one of the things that I really appreciated about the world of the X-Men because it, you know, Professor X in the school and training people to use their skills in a constructive way, I think the purpose of that was to not allow yourself to be overwhelmed right. by world circumstance. Right. You know, I, do you know who I mean when I say Harry Chapin, who wrote Cats in the Cradle and... Uh, oh, I, I, I know, I know. The, uh, the singer-songwriter. Yeah, I know the singer-songwriter. Yeah. But. Uh, who also helped to found the Hunger Network and, and worked like a crazy man for um, many, many different uh, altruistic endeavors. And uh, Bruce Springsteen did his eulogy, and I've actually put it up on my Facebook because I so would be honored if <laughs> this is what people <laughs> said about me, um, where he said, you know, and, and again, this is kind of my view of what a true superhero is. Uh, Bruce said, you know, Harry knew that love was not all that it was going to take to make the world a better place. And so he would do one concert for himself and one concert for the other guy. And he always worked for the greater good. At the same time, he had a clear eye on the wicked ways of the world. Right. Like, so in people's everyday lives, when they get caught up in their family dramas or their work pressures Mm. Uh, all of that stuff is completely real but you can also look at it from the perspective of this is what happens in life so if this is what happens in life do i need to spend a whole lot of time being upset about it Mm. or do i need to be strategic in the way that i manage it right so yeah i'm the the sort of shift to the anti-hero hero is entertaining Mm -hmm. And on some levels, practical. Because the right. truth is, you know, when you look at a, a character like Tony Stark, who um, more so now than in the source material is is kind of being um, framed as his negative attributes are entertaining, mm-hmm. you know, because the, the, thankfully the other characters are observing them for us and, right. and sort and, of filtering them know. for the audience so it doesn't look like he's a complete, you know, fill in the blank. Right. Um, yeah. Um <laughs> I mean, at the very least, we we see Tony as a borderline egomaniac um, with, you know, probably some lingering PTSD and, you know, and and, and at least and and way deep daddy issues. (laughs) Um, Right. But I think one of one of the things that I hope we're kind of a quarter turn away from is like coming full circle on the antihero as a way of presenting super superheroes as multi-dimensional yeah since since you know right. we still we still look to superheroes of all shapes and sizes whether you know you're looking at the real world um and like actively seeking out you know emts firefighters right. police for all of the for all of the difficulties uh there like people still seek those individuals out as guideposts for right. like what we what we should aspire to do right um and one of the one of the bigger 
social cognitive dissonances is that these none of these people are one dimensional none of these right. people are all hero all the time mm-hmm. it's not possible right and i think the if the anti-hero can get all the way around and i think like looking at civil war looking at sort of looking at captain america doing the greater good outside of the system looking at tony trying to do the right thing but right. not but not seeing it like the 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 valid arguments on both sides that means no one is right because it's not a question, it's a conversation. Right. Like being able to get all the way there so that it's easy, I think will help on a broader level so that it's easier for people to look at things like the developing state of police in this country and, right. uh, you know, the, and yeah. the continuing heteronormativity and patriarchy existent in fire and rescue services is and in the healthcare system and Mm -hmm. in governance in general like you can look at those things as okay cool this is a problem that has to do with how the title is presented right and the way you fix that isn't by changing the title it's by changing the people behind it absolutely and wow this is important what you just said is so key to being able to help individuals adapt the superhero metaphor in their everyday lives because, you know, what you were just talking about highlights the the problem of, I'm, I'm trying to come up with a clever phrase for it, but it's basically the rejection syndrome because it's like if you can't see either yourself or the people that you aspire to become as multidimensional characters, then it's really easy to discount that whatever that one thing is. Like, so Tony Stark is a billionaire. Okay, well, rich people suck. Therefore, we can't take what's good from whatever it is he's willing to do. Or, you know, Captain America is a Boy Scout, and nobody's like that, so Mm -hmm. how can we aspire to that? But the the multidimensionality of being able to look at what is it that I do in the world that serves me and what is it that kind of gets in my way and how do I build on one and adapt the other rather than the good guy, bad guy cutting off of some major portion of yourself? Right. This is why... Okay, there are two reasons why I love Bruce Banner. One is because Mark Ruffalo is amazing and he's my oh favorite my person. <laughs> like, Mark, yes. Mark Ruffalo, I'm a huge nerd for you. Um, <laughs> and and not just because you were my favorite th- part about Foxcatcher, which... I think I might be one of like, I feel like I'm one of maybe a hundred people that really, really loved that movie as a story. Like, because I like no one, no one expected, I feel like nobody really expected that movie to be what the movie is because Uh given the cast going into it, right? like everybody knows the story, but like given the cast going into it, like that's supposed to be like, those are, those are funny and entertaining people. And this is a really, really dark gritty film and you just made my point yeah it's like oh steve carroll he's that goofy guy from the office so he can't actually have any depth in playing this vicious character twisted oh but it was so anyway but like there's there's so the best line in the first avengers film hands down is when like they're they're in the middle of the big fight and bannon looks around uh banner looks around and says, you want to know my secret? I'm always angry. Yeah. And it's like, and it's so, it's such a perfect encapsulation of like, just because you come into this space of suddenly not having control. Right. Doesn't mean you don't still have control. Like, 100%. just because, like, just because if he, if he loses control, he turns into the Hulk. Yeah. Doesn't mean that he can't have control over that by saying, okay, 
how can I embrace this part of myself Mm -hmm. So that it's always a part of me because it's never going to not. Exactly. It's never going to not be a part of you. So why not integrate it and use whatever that is? For me personally, it's in service. I don't really care that everybody thinks they need to be in service to other people. I do think, though, that you need to be in service to yourself. So if, you know, anger and, and, and that's the other thing. We as a culture, unfortunately, have this really sad kind of six-year-old view that Mm -hmm. anger is a bad thing you know happiness is great all the time all the time which again not life (laughs) (laughs) that's not the way life works yeah but but this is the perfect example the you know the hulk then being a constructive force because fire is not bad you know it's it's bad when we don't give it an appropriate outlet Mm -hmm. but to say that this anger is somehow um something that he should be rejecting and and of course i'm old enough to remember the tv show (laughs) (laughs) and all the incredible you know angst about what a terrible person bruce banner was in that particular that the individual felt you know but so i thought it was such a beautiful thing like you said that they they brought that character into the new sort of zeitgeist and we're very honest and clear mm-hmm. about, yeah, you know, I am angry all the time. When I have people who come to see me mm-hmm. about those issues and I say, why do you want to stop being angry? They look at me like, okay, like what? You know, doesn't everybody want to be placid all the time? I'm like, uh, no, mm-hmm. that doesn't make sense right. in the, the lives that we lead. Whatever your cultural experience is, there is a place for passion. Right. You know, there's a there's a place for elevation, but as the the new Bannon banner, why do we keep saying Bannon? Well, because because we we're all thinking about Steve all the time. Um, yeah. And, you know. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. Um, the this sort of newest iteration of the Banner character, where he's completely at peace with the fact that he's never at peace. Right. He's not cutting that part of himself out. He's using it for constructive purpose. It's kind of interesting because, like, especially looking at the Hulk, I'm I'm fascinated from from the media perspective looking at how the Hulk has failed. Like up until the Avengers, <gasps> there know, hasn't right? been a su- successful Hulk, right. and I think I think part of part of that and part of the genius of Joss Whedon is that the other Hulk movies were about Banner running away from himself. Absolutely, and and if and and I like. There's a I have this vision in my head of Joss Whedon in the writer's room asking why does so what so he's running away from himself constantly why right and the the why in, is always control right and so th- the question then is why do you want to stop being angry when anger is the only thing that can control this exactly. part of yourself exactly like and and I think that and like when I think of when for me when I think about like why do I want to stop being angry um, when I think about work or when I think about, you know, little family things or when I think about the state of politics, it's because when I'm angry, I don't think, Uh you know, and that's like, and which is the whole point of Hulk. Like Hulk is when I'm angry, I don't think, except that that's not true. That's totally not true. And I just want to say that to you and, you know, to anybody who feels like they're quote out of control when they're angry that see this is one of the reasons i can't watch king kong movies yeah because it it's the same metaphor it's like let's kill that part of ourselves that we believe we can't control 
But, you know, I can't imagine that you at any point in your life have, like, taken a machete to personal property or anything. No, and and, and in the same way that I can, you know, anger is a good thing when it's channeled correctly. Anybody yeah. who's ever gone to town on a heavy bag. Right. That, like, can appreciate the feeling after the fact of, right. A, like, that feeling of, like, just... Mm-hmm letting it be what you're doing and right. pointing it at something that's constructive and then the feeling afterwards of being like and now i'm just empty right and it's great like right. now and, and now it's now i'm just you that, get cathartic, that, that experience. cathartic experience but if you push it down it's like you've heard me say before whatever we repress comes to the party in a different dress yeah you push that down <laughs> it's going to pop out in exactly. some other way and isn't it true that that these metaphors that we're talking about with with the hulk and with king kong when we talk about anger being bad, we're actually talking about it through the filter of people who've experienced it and didn't like it. Right. Right? Like, especially, in, and forgive me, but women in our culture now, man, you get mad about something and you're just crazy. Right? And so that, that is culture <clears throat> yeah. saying, we don't want to deal with you. And while I understand that, again, I want to say, you know, unless you are able, first of all, to integrate personally mm-hmm. all those parts of yourself and you know either adjust what needs adjusting or be okay with that which you are choosing not to adjust but also you know really look, scrutinize deeply the interpretations that you're getting from the outside right like i mean this is the difference between the early hulk representations and the current hulk representation is the locus of control and the interpretation of that behavior coming from outside, mm-hmm. being filtered by people who are fearful? Or is it coming internally with a tremendous amount of wisdom? Right. From the, the Ruffalo interpretation, you know, representation rather, where he's saying, yeah, and. Mm-hmm. You know, this this is what's true. Now, uh, now it's also true that, that he still, in this iteration, has some of that angst and, you know, does his best to stay away from circumstances where he feels like he can't be in control. Sure. But... You know, when you look at what would that team be like Mm -hmm. and what situations would they not be able to manage if they didn't have that character. Right. And it's like in in family, groups of friends, work environments, I'm always telling people there's a place in the universe for the irritant without that sort of um, reason to give a second look to circumstances. Mm -hmm. We're going to be controlled by them. Do you watch RuPaul? Uh, she does. I don't. Um, oh. She's she's on. She's in a. Uh, she's got. She's part of a RuPaul bracket. <gasps> they have a Drag Race bracket. No. Yeah, hers is not doing great because somehow every like because whenever we hang out, we don't like. We're just we just don't end up doing it. Which uh. in part is because I'm just like oh, I don't really like. It, it's not. And it has nothing to do with, I love RuPaul, but I hate reality TV with a passion yeah. that I cannot, like, yeah. I just, that's a thing that I, I can't really bend on. And that, I know mm-hmm. that that's 100%, that, that is 100% because, because I have experience, like, because of the experiences that I have on the other side of it. Oh, totally. I, I completely get that. And, and I have to say, you know, I would say the same thing. I hate reality TV. I hate the way it's produced. Mm-hmm. And I know, you know, it, for me, yeah. as a psychologist, when I observe that stuff, it's so blatantly obvious. But I give RuPaul a total pass because, <laughs> and, 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 and it's not that I don't know that there's a great deal of editing that goes into that. For sure. But now RuPaul is another example mm-hmm. of a real life superhero. Mm-hmm. You know, not only um, because 
he made the decision to not bend, you know, at a time when, wow, it was so not acceptable to be him in the world. And then to turn it into something that is so, I believe, instructive. Mm -hmm. I was really kind of sad. He had a, a one, I think it was one or two seasons of a show called Drag Race University where he went out and oh, found yeah. like normal people and brought them in and, you know, dragged them up and, and introduced them to people they would never meet mm-hmm. otherwise. And it was all about, you know, self-esteem and loving yourself as you are. I thought, wow, this is super constructive. It, it wasn't as well made as some of his other properties. So, you know. Well, I mean, but part of that, I mean, part of that is anytime, anytime you're working with, as any producer will tell you, anytime you're working with people who aren't, like volunteering to be on screen and uh, it's, it's a whole lot harder to direct them. It's a whole lot harder right. to, Oh know, no, they, they were there and, as contestants. It well, was but, the same I mean, as drag race only for regular well, folk. Right. But even, even then, like there's okay. a level, cause like there's one of the, correct me if I'm wrong here. Like one of the, one of the points of drag race is like, there's a level of showmanship. Like hundred percent. everybody no, who's yeah. been on the show is like, is yeah. understands the show. They're performers. They understand yeah. the showmanship involved. And anytime you get people who aren't used to being, like not even right. used to who aren't like really comfortable right. being in that space. It's a, it's a very different animal. Agreed. Um, and you know he he now does conventions. You know his yeah. his version of yeah. Comic Con, which I just think is the coolest thing ever. <laughs> um, but again, you know it comes back to you know the idea of being a superhero in your own life is recognizing the ups and downs of it. If you talk to RuPaul Charles just as himself, Mm -hmm. he will tell you, at this point, he hates being in drag. He would do (laughs) anything not to, you know, have to go through that that construction, and it's quite elaborate, as you might guess. Um, And he just showed up on some random TV show that I was watching. I can't even remember what it was. Mm -hmm. But he was in the background, like, holy cow, RuPaul is the good friend. That's amazing. (laughs) So maybe he'll be able to to just appear as himself. But um, again, that's like, what is my outfit? And, And drag, as much as a lot of it comes from pain, Mm-hmm. It also comes from that I'm going to live as loudly as I can. Mm-hmm. I'm going to live out loud yeah, in, yeah. in a way that is so far from subtle, right? As to then become, in a way, um, delightfully normal, <laughs> right? <you know>? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it, you know, the it may seem strange to draw a line between the Hulk and drag, but it. It's very, very similar. Well, it's still, and it's sort of, one of the things I've been thinking about a lot is, both just now and over the last couple weeks, is the one-sidedness that we have culturally embraced in a lot of things over the last, specifically the last half century, like coming out of the Cold War and... Like when when you talk to people, there's a resurgence of of going back and looking through, like for example, Martin Luther King Jr.'s talks, in which he points out he points to the insidiousness of well-meaning white folk. Oh God! And and also the like these not not tacit but open support for other means of protest that are not nonviolent and that are not right. based in pacifism because. All of those things work together on one side or the other to right. address the current system as they see fit. And that 
in in law you know in the last I know from the entirety of my education in in school anyway not setting aside you know my relation setting life aside experience. my life experience yeah, and, yeah. and you know and having the mentors that I had um you don't like kids these days don't learn about that side of the civil rights movement they don't right. learn about you know, you don't get James Baldwin. You don't get the complicated, like the complicated friendships and partnerships and right. internal strife of the leaders of the civil rights movement. You, right. and you don't get the, you know, the tacit vocal support while the very, ex- while the very explicit um, institutionalization of middle class white Democrats. Like mm-hmm. you don't, you don't touch on that. Because it's hard. It's hard, you know, it's hard to teach. It's hard. It's hard to talk about. It's it's not something that's comfortable, both because it takes nuance and context, but also because it sort of forces us to look at ourselves and look at our internal contradictions. Right. Like, you know, in the same way, okay, taking it from something really high to much more mundane, in the same way that people were really upset about the new Superman, like the first new Superman movie where, right. you know, Clark Kent kills a guy. Which Superman doesn't do. Mm-hmm. And I think it was, I mean, that bothered me because it kind of defeated, it didn't feel necessary. Mm-hmm. It felt kind of forced. There wasn't like, it just felt like they didn't know how to end the movie. Right. And, so it's, and that it's it wasn't written. A way of going gritty because that's the thing that people Because are that's used the thing to. that you have to do. Yeah. But also, I think, but it also felt like, no, but this is honest to what the character would do if he was in this situation. The situation is super contrived. Mm-hmm. The situation like is totally unnecessary. It, none of it had to be this way. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, if you're put between an immovable force, and, or sorry, if you're unstoppable force and an immovable object, mm-hmm. what do you do? Right. If you're Superman, you you either stop the force or move the object. Right. And when, you know, he's put between the unstoppable force of his moral code and an immovable object, which is someone who he can't beat by strength alone. Right. He can't just stop, you know, you can't, he can't just stop this person from killing mm-hmm. literally everyone else. Right. So what do you do? Right. But, it, but that's still in, in concert with the moral code. It, it is, but it, I mean, but it does still, it is, but it still forces, it forces that introspection of like, right. in that moment, it's like, okay, cool. There is an inherent contradiction mm-hmm. in the circumstance and who I am. And, you know, it's interesting that brings us back to the, 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 how do we manage that complexity? Right. And right now in, in the world, it's, it seems amazing to me that we've been struggling with, as you started out with the kind of the binary nature of everything right it's like it's good or bad and and we're all going to you know shuffle Mm -hmm. off into one square or the other when that isn't not only is that not life but it's not sustainable it 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 is not a way that we can artfully manage the mass complexity that we're all kind of colluding with right but in this in this circumstance it what's interesting to me about how people can be superheroes in their own lives is we perform better, in my experience, as superheroic in extreme circumstance. Right. Just like the one you're talking about. Like, like there, it, it, there was a point that was so extreme that that reflection, that, that internal, like, what am I going to do with this, by definition, has to be open to more complexity. Right. 
you know, it wasn't a good, bad, black, white moment. It was, wow, I really, I have to decide where my morality is going to come down in this circumstance. Right. So it, here's where we are in the world right now with there being so much darkness mm-hmm. and people are waking up and, and being more active and more present both in their lives and in our, their culture because it's so bad. Mm-hmm. What I really hope is that as individuals, we can decide that we don't need that kind of extremity to inspire us to be more introspective right. and to really get to know ourselves more completely so that we can respond to circumstances so we don't end up mm-hmm. in the place where it is so extreme. Right. I know I'm, I'm being kind of oblique, but you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, it's, I mean, it's, 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 it's tough because comfort... It, it, comfort doesn't inherently breed in introspection. Like when when we're comfortable, quite when things, the opposite. You know, I think. Yeah, we complacency, comfort, and complacency tend to go hand in hand. Right. And I think that it's. I mean, it is. It it is a task of work to take on the constant and regular self reflection, right? So that you can mean be introspective and self aware without a looming crisis because right. the because then the the goal it because it's a whole lot easier to do that with a goal in mind like it's so much easier to be like self to to assess yourself and to and to try and work out where you stand on a thing when you're trying to work out where you stand on a thing right as opposed to the the sort of regular checking in of like who am i and wh- how do i feel about this and what am i doing and like am i moving in a direction that's true to who I am and what I want to accomplish. Right. Like those are much more abstract and, and therefore much from the outset seemingly less, or at least for my, for me, mm-hmm. from, from, from the outset for me, they seemed less attainable and less, um, and, and less gratifying because you don't have a thing that you get to latch on to at but the that, end. That's exactly the thing that I'd like to help people change. Right. That right there. Because I don't want um, people to have the view that the attainment is burdensome. Right. I really, you know, because your goal can be so specific to where you are in any given moment that you don't need, I don't believe, that you should need that external stimulus in order to find the satisfaction that you're talking about. I get that when you solve some major thing, it feels really good. Right. Goodness knows. <laughs> I've got an ego on me where that kind of stuff is concerned. So I, it's not that I don't relate to that. But I think that if we can take that those those exemplars of morality, like Captain America, for instance, in every in every action, his moral code is in place, mm-hmm. right? The moral code is the goal. Right. It's not the how do I apply that? You know, I, there's a minister that I know who is fond of saying, I don't want to ever hear you pray for strength, right? Which is something that a lot of people are, are constantly saying, please, you know, from some external source, whatever it may be, can I have strength now? And she says, I don't want you to pray for that because then you're going to be given all kinds of reasons to use it. Right. Right. So then you then you get into that mindset of constantly being assailed. Um, I can't remember who it was who said this. I need to look it up. But when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. So if you are. Yeah. Uh, sorry. I just I, I've, I've heard it before and it hit home 
Okay. <laughs> yeah, no. But see, but, but see, this is what I'm talking about, yeah. is you don't have to have the hammer. Right. You don't have to be, you know, Thor walking around waiting for a target to toss Mjolnir at, mm-hmm. if I said that right. Um, you can be in your day. <laughs> did I not say it right? You did. Okay. It was close. Okay. <laughs> it's, a, it's a weird, like, the accenting, the accenting on, the, on that you. Mjolnir. Yeah. Okay. But the, but the point is that you can have that same level of satisfaction. Mm-hmm. Of, uh, you know, resolution and and standing up straight and and doing the best you can in any given moment, every day. Right. You don't need civil war. You don't need all of this external stuff because I get what you're saying about um, comfort and complacency going hand in hand. The problem with that is deciding what comfort actually means to you. For me, getting to the end of the day and knowing that I've that I have lived as cleanly and nobly as I can. Yeah. That there you go. <laughs> you know? Because goodness knows who knows what's gonna happen tomorrow. Right. I'd rather take my win right now, thank you very much. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's our episode. Hope you enjoyed it. You can find out more about Bonnie's work at bonnieking-taylor.com. You can also find her full bio at applyingtoeverything.xyz slash guests. You can find out more about the podcast at applyingtoeverything.xyz. And you can subscribe to the show on iTunes or Google Play. I'd like to thank Humble Fire for the use of our theme song, Mount St. Misery, off of The Great Resolve, available on iTunes or wherever you get your music. I'd also like to thank Chiara Scarcella for designing our logo. Tune in next week for the second half of my conversation with Bonnie, where we talk about RuPaul, dealing with fear, and how to be your own superhero. Talk to you then.